Let's turn to the book of Joshua, if you will. This is a book that is an exciting book. As you know, there are books like Leviticus that are important, but they're not exciting books. You don't get all excited reading Leviticus. But you do in reading the book of Joshua. This is the conquest. And that's exciting. To see the victory and see the, the conquering of the land, the defeating of those that are against God and His people. And that's what this book is all about. In chapters 1 to 5 is the story of crossing the river. And we're not going to go there. We're going to jump past that quickly just to simply say that they're now past the river and they're through the river. And when we come to chapter 6 and the verses, chapters following, it is the actual conquest. I want us to focus on chapter 6 briefly and then our study is going to be on chapters 7 and 8. In chapter 6, there was the victory at Jericho. We're all familiar with Jericho, the first city they took. They were told to go to the city, march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, blow the trumpets and shout as they march as well. And then consequently, the walls fell down and they conquered the city. Great victory. The very first city they took. Chapter 7 was a defeat at Ai. Seemingly, they were going to take Ai as easily or maybe easier than they had taken the city of Jericho. Didn't work. That's what chapter 7 is about. Chapter 8 has to do with victory now at Ai after this utter failure of chapter 7. Well, there's some things I learned. There's, there's a lot to learn about defeat and victory. They were victorious in chapter 6. They were defeated in chapter 7. They were victorious in chapter 8. There's a great deal I learn about defeat and victory from these three chapters, particularly 7 and 8, that may help us when we look at things that we can avoid so that we avoid defeat and some things that we can do that we may gain victory. So let's talk this morning about defeat and victory in light of chapter 7 and chapter 8. Two things we're going to notice. We're going to notice the defeat on the hills of victory, chapter 7, and then we're going to see turning defeat into victory. Perhaps you've had victory in your life. You feel like you've been victorious. Maybe you've been victorious over sin. You've been victorious in the sense of, of becoming a stronger Christian. You've been victorious in raising your family. And so you feel like that you're on the mountaintop of victory at times. And it very well could be that you face defeat on the hills of that victory then what do you do in, in light of that? You turn that defeat into victory as they did in chapter 8. So let's turn our attention now to the defeat on the hills of victory. So let's start in chapter 7. And, and ignore what's on the screen just for a moment and let me give you kind of a synopsis of what happens in chapter 7 in case we have forgotten. What happens in chapter 7 is they attempt to take the city of, of Ai. And so Joshua makes preparation. What Joshua doesn't know is, told to us in the story was that there was a man named Achan who had taken of the accursed things that he was not supposed to take of. And consequently, when they make their attempt to take Ai, Joshua tells them, here's what you need to do with send out spies. They send out spies. They say, we can take it with, with few men because they're small and we're large. We can take them. And so they attempt and they were defeated. Joshua cries out before the Lord and he's distraught and we'll see that in a few moments. And in fact, he kind of somewhat latches out at the Lord. The Lord tells him the problem is there's sin in the camp and you've got to deal with that. And when you deal with that, then you can be victorious. And so they do deal with that. 
find out it's Achan is the problem. Achan confesses and acknowledges. They stone him. And now then in chapter 8 what we have is that God says, here's how we're going to do that. You're going to lay an ambush and you can be victorious. Just listen to me and follow me and you can have victory. And they do and they have victory. At the end of that victory then they celebrate in the sense of praising God making sacrifice unto God, and then the reading of His will and making a commitment to follow the will of God. And that's what chapters 7 and 8 are about. So now let's back up to the first part of chapter 7. And let's talk about this defeat that we see in chapter 7. The first thing I want you to focus on is there was a disobedient soldier. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 said, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, for Achan took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Drop down to verse 20 and 21. When Achan was finally discovered and found out, here's what he said. He said, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. I saw... Among the spoils, a Babylonian, beautiful Babylonian garment and two shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels and I coveted and I took them and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. That's what it did. So let's start with the disobedient soldier. First of all, let's talk about the sinner. His name is Achan, which means trouble. That's what his name means. How would, like you, how would you like your name to be? Trouble. So that when somebody calls you and calls you by your name, they're calling you trouble. In fact, he was known, we're known to us for a man of trouble. In fact, here's what's said in verse 25. The Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. Your name means trouble. You've troubled us and God's going to trouble you. How would you like to be known as the person who created trouble and caused trouble? You see, because of his sin, Israel was defeated and 36 men lost their lives at verse 5. Notice at verse 5, as they attempted to take the city of Ai, we're in chapter 7. Look at verse 5, and the men of Ai struck down 36 men. How would you like your name to be known as trouble and 36 people lost their lives because of your sin? Not a mistake, but your sin. God held the entire nation responsible because of sin being in the camp. Look at verse 11. We've already focused at verse 1. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned, and they've also transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. For they have taken of some of the accursed things that have been stolen. Look at verse 13. Get up, sanctify yourselves tomorrow, for because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, and Israel cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. God held all Israel back because of that sin. Here's something very practical I learned from that. Never underestimate the damage that one person can do outside of the will of God. You say, I'm only one person. Or maybe here is someone you know that's, oh, that's only one person. Never underestimate the damage that one person can do to the Israel of God. One could, that person can do a lot of great damage in a church. One person can destroy a family. One person can destroy your reputation. Never underestimate the damage that one person can do. That's the sinner. Let's talk about his sin. I want to suggest to you, let's go back up to chapter 6, that Achan heard the orders and he knew what he was supposed to do. There is no defense. In fact, when the defense comes, verse 20 and 21, there is no defense. He doesn't say, I didn't know. 
I didn't know. I, I, I saw this and I took it because I thought that's what we were supposed to do. He said, I have sinned. He knew he had sinned because he knew the commands. Go back to chapter 6 beginning at verse 17. Joshua commanded them in chapter 6 and verse 17. He said, Joshua told them, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Only Rahab the harlot shall you save alive. And notice verse 18, and by all means keep yourselves from the accursed things lest you, you become accursed when you took of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Don't take any of the spoils. If you do, you'll trouble the whole nation of Israel. So don't take any of that. All of that goes into the treasury of God. So don't take any of the spoils. Achan heard the command of God through the mouth of Joshua. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Now notice his progression into sin. At verse 21 beginning, I want to, verse 20 he said, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I've done. What would you do? He said, I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. In other words, he took a look at the treasures a second time. He saw them, but he looked again. He said, I saw a beautiful Babylonian garment. I saw silver and I saw gold. Took a second look. Notice he said, I saw among the spoils. God didn't call them spoils. God called it their cursed thing. And so what they're doing is calling evil good. He's taking that which God said, you can't have, that's an accursing, you can't take it, you can't have it, you can't uh, possess that. I don't want you touching that. Not for yourself anyway. But he's calling it spoils. I'll take that for myself. One writer calls that rewriting God's dictionary. We often rewrite God's dictionary. Something that's labeled as sin, we label it as something better, a little more acceptable, a little more palatable, and it's easier to, to swallow. I'll take that. I like that new definition I've put on that. You see, this is not, this is not gossip. This is, this is simply telling the truth. That reclassifies that. It's not fornication. It's love. We've reclassified that. It's not adultery. It's something that is acceptable in society. Oh, it's not immodest. It, this, is, this is style. We reclassify and rewrite God's dictionary is what we do. And that's what he did. And furthermore, I want you to notice he said, I coveted. I saw it. I took a second look. I looked at it again. I reclassified it. And then I coveted it, he said. Look at verse 21. And I coveted them and then I took them. Notice his progression. He never took them until he first coveted and he didn't covet until he reclassified and he didn't reclassify until he looked a second time and said, that's what I want. And he's not through. He thought he could get away with it. And he said, there they are hidden in the earth in my tent. Go find them. That's where you'll find them. In other words, I thought I'd get away with it. I reclassified it. I, I, I got what I wanted. I did what I wanted. And I went and hid it. I thought I could get away with it. And he didn't get away. Now, I know the disobedient soldier. Let's talk about the defeated army because of that. Beginning at verse 2, Joshua calls the men to go to Ai and to spy out Ai. We'll say more about that in a moment. Let's get a bearing of where we are. Here we have Jericho right here in the circle. And then over here is Ai. And he sends men over to Ai to spy out Ai. So let's see what's going on. Joshua makes preparation, verses 2 and 3. And what I want you to see in verse 2 is that Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, and he's, 
He sent them up and they returned coming back to him. Notice verse 3. Do not call all the people up, but let about two or three thousand men go up to attack Ai. Do not worry all the people, for the people of Ai are few. So Joshua assumes the Lord is with him and is pleased with them and we're ready to go to battle. He makes an assumption there. Number one. Secondly, I want you to notice that victory at Ai had given them confidence. I mean at Jericho. They were victorious at Jericho. Now we have confidence and that may have caused some presumption on his part. We took Jericho, we can take Ai. The confidence at verse 3 is in the large army we have and in the small army of Ai. They're small and we're large. We don't need to take the whole army. We'll take three or, uh, two or 3,000 and we can conquer them. Now notice at verses 4 and 5, they are defeated. In verse 4, about 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. As the men of Ai come out of the city and pursue them, they flee from them. And furthermore, 3,000 men fled being chased by a few and 36, verse 5, were killed. They lost 36 men. And now notice at the end of verse 5, it says their heart melted and it became like water. They were defeated. Joshua made preparation, said, we can do that. Let's take two or 3,000, let's go up and we'll go after them. And when they do, 3,000 fled being chased by just a few. 36 men were killed and their hearts have melted. There's something to be learned. There's a lesson I learned about presuming confidence in our own power and not depending upon God. They were looking at their own power. We can take them. And yet they had disregarded the direction of God, and that's what we're going to see as we go further. And I see the disobedient soldier. And there was this defeated army. Let's focus now on the discouraged leader. When someone is disobedient, the army is going to be defeated, and that does discourage the leaders. Look at verse 6 beginning. There is remorse on the part of Joshua, the leader. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth before the ark until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Sign of remorse. Their best laid plans are dashed to pieces. Perhaps yours have been too. Maybe some of your plans concerning your own spirituality have fallen to pieces because you didn't follow the direction of God. Maybe your plans with reference to your family have fallen to pieces because you didn't follow the direction of God. On and on we could go. Here's something that you had the best laid plans. You thought you were going to be victorious and it fell all apart. Joshua is in remorse. He's discouraged. Notice the reproach at verse 7. By the reproach, I'm suggesting to you that at first it seems like he is lashing out and reproaching God and blaming God. Look at verse 7. He says, Alas, Lord, why have you brought your people over Jordan at all to deliver them in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we'd been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Now he's going to say he kind of changed tunes here in just a moment, if that be the case. But it sounds like he's almost reproaching God. In essence, he says, we would have been content to stay on the other side. And that would have been less than God's best, what he had for them. What, if they'd have stayed on the other side of the river, they would not have had the land of promise that God was giving them. That was the best God was giving them. But we would have been content not to face this and stay on the other side. What's going on here, he's asking. What's going on here? 
I described verses 89 as repentance, not that Joshua has done wrong in showing repentance, but here is uh, encapsulated the concept of a change of heart, to say the least, at verse 8. And notice what he's concerned about. He said, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns back before its enemies? What can you say? But here was his concern. Here's what I want you to see. Israel's sin has robbed God of his glory. Notice it verse, verse, verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? What he's saying is that Israel's sin has robbed God of his glory. And his concern is not about himself, but his concern is about, is not his own reputation, but God's. We've been defeated here at Ai, and, and God, what, what's going to happen when, when the nations find out we've been defeated? They're going to blaspheme your name because of that. And what I'm suggesting to you by calling this section repentance is that when we are recognizing something is amiss and something is wrong, we're not so much should be concerned about our own reputation, but what about God's name in that and God's glory in that? That's the point. But let's go further. I want you to notice not only the remorse of this discouraged leader, the reproach, the change of thought, but I want you to notice the rebuke in verses 10 to 15. The rebuke of God. And that is, that is God rebukes him. Notice he says at verse 10, he said, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Now's the time to act. Joshua, you're, you're, you're down on your knees, you're down on the earth, you're, you're sitting with, with dust on your head. Your, your clothes are torn, and there is great remorse over this defeat. What you need to do is get up. Look at verse 13. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves. You need to get to action. When we have been defeated, we don't sit in a pool of self-pity. We need to get up and go to action. That's what I'm learning from that. Notice the beginning at verse 10, he says, God says to him in this rebuke, the problem is there is sin in the camp. Look at verse, verse, uh, verse 11. Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant. It's not, God is saying to him, that I brought you out here in the land that the Amorites then might attack you. That's not what I brought you out here for. The reason you were defeated is your fault. The reason you were defeated is because there is sin in the camp. The reason you're defeated is you didn't do what I told you. There's sin in the camp, verse 11. There's someone who's taken up the accursed things. They have stolen and they have deceived and they put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. But they turned their backs and became doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore until you destroy the accursed thing. Now, verse 13, get up, he says. Need to get up. And sanctify yourselves. There's an accursed thing in your midst. I'm reading it, verse 13. And you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing. There's sin that's got to be dealt with and you need to deal with it now. So everything up to this point, the victory at Jericho, is of no avail. And you can't go forward until you deal with this problem. Let's stop and footnote. There may be sin now in your life, but you've been victorious in the past. Nothing in the past is of any avail until you deal with the problem you've got now. You deal with it and you correct that or you can't go forward. That's what I'm learning from this. Now notice it, verses 14 and 15. This is part of God's rebuke. Get up, time for action. There's problem is a sin in the camp. And he said the sinner's got to be identified by morning and we got to deal with him. Look at verses 14 and 15. He said in the morning, he said you should call all your tribes <clears throat> and you take them by tribes and they shall take them according to families, and then take them according to households, and then take them according to by man by man, and then you, it shall be that he who has taken the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, because he transgressed. 
So narrow it down. And you take them by tribes, and then you take them by families, and then you take them by household, and you take them by man, until you find this is the one that did it. And when you find him, then he needs to be stoned and burned. So the man's got to be identified. So we have this discouraged leader. Now let's talk about not only the dis disobedient soldier, the defeated army, because of that disobedient soldier and the discouraged leader, now we have the discovered sinner. And that's Achan. Achan is the discovered sinner, I want you to see. Notice at verse 16 to 18, the investigation. In verses 16 to 18. Now what I'm learning from this is that nobody hides from God. Nobody. And Achan couldn't hide. He thought he could. He said, there it is hidden among my garments. In my tent, rather. So Joshua rose early, beginning at verse 17, and brought Israel by their tribes, and, and the tribe of Judah was taken. So there's where the problem is, is in the tribe of Judah. We still don't know who it is. And then they took them by families, and finally we come down, and Achan was taken. Verse 19. And what I'm learning in that investigation is they begin to narrow it down. No one escapes the eye of God. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 23. Now notice beginning at verse 19, his confession. I see the investigation. Now here's the confession of sin. And Joshua said, I beg you, give glory to God and make confession and tell, uh, tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. In other words, don't lie about this. The hand of God is identified and it's you. And you're the one. And you tell us exactly what you did and don't lie to us about that. And so at verse 20, here's what Achan said. Achan said, indeed... He said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. And we've already read verse 21. I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted and I took them, and there they are hidden in my tent. Here's what I did. And so Joshua sent messengers, verse 22, to his tent, and there it was. And he took it from the midst of the tent and brought it to Joshua and all the children of Israel and laid it before the Lord. Now then, I want you to notice the judgment that's executed, beginning at verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, his sons, and his silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and brought them in the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? This is where we read that a moment ago. This is at the point where Joshua said, your name is trouble, I'm paraphrasing, of course, you are nothing but trouble, and you've been trouble to us. Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire. And after they'd stoned him with stone, they raised over him a heap of stones, which is there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place shall be called the Valley of Achor to this day. God's anger was stirred. But Achan's family must have assisted him or covered for him. Because I want you to go back now with me to verse 24. That is, his sons and his daughters were stoned with him. Which may suggest that they had been some party to that. That they may have assisted him in that. Or at least known of that and had not revealed that. Perhaps sometimes we aid and abed uh, those that are in sin. Maybe our family, maybe our husband, maybe our wife, maybe our children, maybe our parents. We cover for them. Maybe that's what they had done. But I want you to notice the value of the stolen goods was not worth it. Whatever the value of the wedge of gold and the 200 shekels of silver were, it's not worth it now because now they've been stoned and they've been burned with fire 
and the judgment of God has fallen upon them. So what have we seen about the defeat on the hills of victory? There was a disobedient soldier that caused this defeated army, that caused a discouraged leader, and now we have a discovered sinner. And at this point, if we stop at the end of verse of, of chapter 7, we have defeat. And that's a sad story to end on. But why were they defeated? They were defeated because they didn't obey. They were defeated because they didn't take God at his word seriously. We can go down in defeat even on the hills of victory. And perhaps because we've been on the hills of victory, because we think we're victorious and we can conquer the next. They went down on the hills of victory. Now let's talk about turning defeat into victory. Let's turn to chapter 8 now because this is a brighter story. Chapter 7 is quite a sad story. But chapter 8 is quite an interesting story of this defeat being turned into victory. So what do we see in chapter 8? Well, we're going to see failure being turned into victory. Henry Ford once said failure is simply the opportunity to begin again. This time, more intelligently. And so is the case in Joshua chapter 7. They have a new beginning now, beginning at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go to Ai. I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as you did to the king of Jericho. Only its spoil and cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay ambush for the city behind it. Let's see what we see in verses 1 and 2. He starts with a word of encouragement. A new beginning starts with a word of encouragement. Notice verse 1a. He said, do not be afraid or be dismayed. I want to suggest to you that discouragement over the past and fear of the future often comes with failure. When we make a failure in our life, and we will have some failures, it may be sin, it may be mistakes, but we have failure, we become discouraged over the things of the past, and now we're fearful of going forth in the future because we may make the same mistake again. We failed here, we'll fail again. And so here's a word of encouragement. Do not be afraid or be dismayed. What I'm learning from chapter, chapter 8 is an answer to discouragement is start listening to God. If they'd have listened in the first place, they would not have been defeated. You want some discouragement to, or some encouragement to overcome your discouragement? Start listening to God. He's saying there's no reason for fear. Just listen to me and there will be victory. There's a new beginning. A new beginning starts with a word of encouragement, but it also includes some word of instruction. Notice verse 1b and verse 2. Verse 1b said, I have given into your hand the king of Ai. And here's what you do. The difference this time is the spoils are yours. Notice in verse 2, its spoils and its cattle and its booty for beasts shall be for yourselves. Had Achan waited just a few days, he could have had the pick of his spoils and all that he wanted, only doing it God's way. Achan's dead and gone. He don't get any of this. <laughs> See, he tried to get the spoils and got them the wrong way. And now he's dead and he doesn't get any of the spoils. But if he'd have just waited, he could have had spoils of all that he wanted. Quite often we want to run ahead of God. And God often always gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. And we often run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God. Sometimes somebody wants to have a child, but they're not married, but they're going to have the child anyway. They'll run ahead of God. They'd wait and do it God's way. They could do it legitimately and be blessed by God. They want to enjoy the relationship, an intimate relationship, but they want to do it without marriage. They'd wait. They could do it God's way. Or they want something... So they steal it, but if they'd work, they could obtain it God's way. 
on down the line and we could go. This time the spoils would be theirs. But notice verse 2b. Here's God's plan. We're going to do it different this time. There's going to be an ambush. You're going to lay an ambush against it. So there's a new beginning. Starts with a word of encouragement. There's a word of instruction. But there's also a word of promise. He said, I've given into your hand the king of Ai. I've given Ai to you. That's the same promise that he gave about Jericho. I have given into your hand Jericho. I've given Jericho into your hand. In both cases, the promises were conditional. Conditional marching around the city. This time you're going to lay an ambush. You don't lay the ambush, you don't get the city. You don't march around the city, you don't get the city. Both promises were conditional. Here's what I'm learning from that. No matter how bad we feel and how bad we fail, or how bad we think we've done, we can always get up and begin again. Remember the phrase back in chapter, chapter 7 and in verse 10, verse 13, get up. Start over. We can always get up and begin again. God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of new beginnings. You begin with a word of encouragement, a word of instruction, and then there is a word of promise. But this time there's a new strategy. Turning defeat into, into victory is, is a new strategy, involves a new strategy. The new beginning requires a new strategy because the old strategy led to defeat. Their strategy of doing it their way. I'll take of the spoils and then we'll still take the city. No, it doesn't work that way. You do that again, reject the will of God, you're going to have defeat again. But even taking Jericho was different than this. This is different than taking Jericho. This strategy seems to be based on Israel's defeat. And using that to cause Ai to be overconfident. They were defeated and they fled. Remember that in chapter 7? So we're going to use that as if we are fleeing like we did before. And that's going to cause Ai to be overconfident. So the victory requires planning. Take God's instructions very carefully. Listen to God's instructions and plan. If we're going to be victorious. But let's start now at verse 14. There's a new victory. Beginning at verse 14. Beginning at verse 14, here was what God's plan was. Joshua gave instructions to the people in those verses, uh, verses 3 to 13. Now here's what we're going to do, and here's what God's told us to do. You're going to take a number of men, and you're going to go on one side of the city, and I'll take a number of men and go on the other side of the city, and we'll act like we're attacking the city, and then we're going to flee, and we're going to run, and they'll draw out after us. And then you come in and you burn the city. And as soon as you burn the city, we'll turn back and we'll capture the people. And so now we've defeated the city, the king, and the, and the army. And so that's the plan they laid. Beginning now at verse 14, Ai was empty. That happened that when the king of Ai saw that the men had, had hastened, they rose up early when they saw that there was an attack against them. And they arose early and they went out against Israel and battled unto he and all of his people and did not know that there was an ambush. And Joshua and all Israel, verse 15 said, made as if they were beaten before them and they fled away into the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and they were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or in Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel, the text says. Ai had been empty. So the men of Ai were confident of victory. Matthew Henry commented upon that, suggesting that they're most in danger who are least aware of it. I like that quotation. You think of Ai, they are unaware of this ambush behind them. And they're in danger and they don't have any clue because they think the danger is fleeing from them and they're pursuing after their enemy, they think, and they don't know the enemy is behind them. They are most in danger who are least aware of the danger. 
I say amen to that. Now beginning at verse 18, Ai was captured. Ai was captured. The army, notice now at verse 18, that the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, and I will give it into your hand. And so he stretched out the spear, and those in ambush arose quickly in their place, verse 19, and ran in, and as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city, and they took it. And the men of Ai, when the men of Ai saw and looked behind them, they saw the smoke of the city ascending to heaven. And then they turn around to pursue after the city. And then Joshua and his men pursue after them. So the city was captured. The army and the people were destroyed, verses 21 to 29. Now they have victory. There's a new victory because Ai is now emptied, it's captured, and the people are destroyed. Now notice at verse 23, the king is captured. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. Drop down to verse 29, what did they do with him? Ai, the king of Ai was hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun went down, they took him down and, and laid his corpse at the entrance of the gate of the city. Laid a heap of stones over it. What's going on? There is now a new victory. Ai's spoils are claimed. Look at verse 20, 27. Only the livestock and the spoils of the city, they took his booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded to Joshua. What's going on? There's a new victory. This is different than chapter 7. Ai is emptied for a different reason. Ai is captured. It wasn't captured before. Their people and their army is destroyed. It wasn't destroyed before. The king is slain. It wasn't slain before. The spoils are taken by all. That wasn't true before. And what I'm seeing in this is the disgrace and defeat now seems like it's all being erased. Can you imagine being in the army with Joshua in chapter 8? And now it's easy to forget about all that disaster of chapter 7 when you have this victory in chapter 8. Perhaps you're focusing on your defeat. The mistakes of your life. Maybe you're thinking about the disasters in your life. And if you begin to focus on this new victory that God allows you by following His will, you can forget about all those failures and put all those behind you as was the case with Joshua. What have we seen in turning defeat into victory? There was a new beginning, a new strategy, a new victory. Now there's a new commitment. There's a new commitment. Let's turn at verse 30 now. There's two things I want you to focus on. There is this commitment to honor and to worship. Having defeated Ai, they are now victorious. What happens? Joshua built an altar to the Lord in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of stones, over which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Here they made a commitment that they're going to honor and they're going to worship God like God directs, like it was directed by Moses. But that's not all. Beginning at verse 32 through verse 35, there's a commitment to follow God's word. There's a commitment to follow God's word. Look at verse 32 and 33. The law was written on stones. I'm not going to take the time to read all of that. That in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel and their elders and officers uh, stood beside the ark of the, uh, of the, uh, the ark, uh, before the priest and the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant and uh, the stranger as well. But the point I want you to see is they wrote the stones on law. Beginning at verse 34 and to end of the chapter, that afterward he read all the words of the law the blessings and the cursings according to written in the book of the law. There was not a word which Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the congregation of Israel. So there was this reading of the law. And in that reading of the law, there, are, there is this commitment to follow God's word. 
So we're going to worship and we're going to serve God and we're going to follow His Word. That was the failure of chapter 7. So what have we seen now in this turning defeat into victory? There was this new beginning, a new strategy, a new victory. And now there's a new commitment. They're victorious this time. They're victorious because they obeyed. They're victorious because they took the Word of God seriously. And they turned defeat into victory. So can you. Chapter 7 and 8 can be seen in your life. In every defeat that you have, spiritual defeat, you're going to see that you fail to follow the will of God. Every victory is going to be because you did follow the will of God. There should be the turning of defeat into victory. Sometimes we have defeat on the heels of victory. And it may be because of that victory that made us overconfident and think, you know what? I think I can be victorious from here on out and I may then be defeated because I failed to take God into account. We can turn defeat into victory as they did in chapter 8. It may be that you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God. You can turn that defeat of being a non-Christian, being not a child of God, one, one who is not ready for eternity into a victory by becoming obedient even this very morning. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?